Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing arrow rests, a subject that's come up in several conversations I've had this week, so I figure why not do a podcast on them. So basically, let's just get into it. Uh, there are different types of arrow rests available out there, but we're going to cover the basically the, the top two types, we'd say, which would be a fixed type of arrow rest and a drop-away arrow rest. Um, Basically, there's the only types that really exist anyway, unless someone's got something out there special I haven't heard of yet. Anyway, so we'll start with the fixed, and fixed can come in a couple different varieties, but for the most part, you're looking at either a blade-type rest, which is very common in target archery, or you're looking at a biscuit rest or some kind of a brush rest that's going to hold the arrow in place as well. Now, for the blade rest, like I said, that's mostly target some people use that for 3D. Some people use it for spots. A lot of different ways you can use those rests, but they are rigid. And if, you're, if your draw is solid, and what I mean solid meaning that A, you're not overbowed, and B, your draw is smooth, using a, a fixed blade rest like that usually isn't a problem. However, if you have a shaky draw or you're overbowed, you're going to find that the arrow is going to fall off of it. Because depending on the width of the arrow, if you have a very wide blade, it may fit on there. But even with wide blades, I've seen people try to draw them back and they just fall right off because they don't pull in a straight line or they're a little bit herky-jerky on their draw. So you have to be able to use it with a very, very smooth draw. If you can't, you'll see this even happen in pro tournaments. If you see them on YouTube, you'll see guys draw back and little hitch in the draw and the arrow fall off the rest, and they use their finger to put it back on top of the rest. And the only problem with that is that once you play around with your hand position, you may find that your shots don't land where you want them to. So if it's not smooth on the draw, a blade's probably not for you. The other thing is you might run into problems with clearance. And clearance is always a special thing because if you're shooting some kind of a helical, blade rest can give you a lot of headaches. And we test that various different ways, which I won't get into on here. But for the most part, uh, blade rests, like I said, if you've got a smooth draw and you're not shooting anything overly helical on the fletching, you should be able to get away with it. Now, the other type is the biscuits or the brush type rest. And most common that you're going to see is a whisker biscuit. And then you see the other ones like a hostage rest, that sort of thing. Um, Botech makes those. There's a couple of different companies that make them. You'll see some Chinese knockoffs of both. And the main thing that comes with them is those rests are very simple to use because basically they hold the arrow in place for you during the entire draw. So the arrow is not going to fall off. Nothing like that's going to go on. But they do have some drawbacks to them too. And one thing I keep telling people is you pay attention to all of your equipment. And these, these fixed rests in the case of a hostage rest or you know, with, with brushes or the whisker biscuit. It's no different than any other t- part of your bow. However, it takes a lot of note and detail to make sure that it's not wearing out because those brushes and those those whiskers on there, they do wear out with repeated use. And how can you tell? Well, I've seen some rests come into me and they look very, very strange because I'll give you an example. The hostage rest, it's got three three sets of brushes that hold it in like a triangle formation. 
I've seen people bring me those rests, and when I look at them, like the one on the bottom is completely worn down to the plastic. There's no, there's no, there's no brush left on it, and that becomes a problem. So you don't want that sort of thing to happen. You got to keep an eye on it because if it starts to wear down, your impact is going to change. Same thing with the whisker. If you're shooting it for a while, you may you may notice that the the hole in the whisker biscuit gets a little taller. And what that means is that the bottom's wearing out, the top could be wearing out, and all of a sudden your arrow's not sitting the same, and guess what changes? The angle at which your arrow's sitting on on the string will change. Changes your impact point. Also, if you pull really hard to one side or the other, you may find out that you wear it out from left to right. Or if your arrow is extremely weak or demonstrates extreme paradox when it leaves, it might wear out the left and right sides of it. So that is what you have to look for. Now, in the case of some of the hostage rests, you can replace some of the parts on there to renew it, uh, so to speak. In the case of a whisker biscuit, depending on who the maker is, you can generally just get another biscuit insert, put it in there, not have to change the tune at all. Good idea to do that right before the season when you're practicing for it. This way you're dealing with a fresh biscuit in there. You don't have to worry about any excess wear happening or getting to the point where it affects your arrow flight later in the season. So that's that's what you really got to look for with those. They are reliable. There are people who have been shooting whisker biscuits for years. I mean, they were probably one of the first rests to come out. The other, The only other type that was out there before whisker biscuit was a a spring steel type of um, type of rest, um, you know, with two little claws that held the arrow, but they were the same thing as as a fixed blade, as I was explaining explaining before. So you don't see them like a TM Hunter anymore. But um, the whisker biscuits have been around forever, and people used to say, "Well, I can hang upside down, do whatever angle I want, and the arrow's not going to fall out." Very true, and you can shoot great scores with them for target two if you wanted to. But again. You have something touching the arrow on the way out, and it's subject to influence. And if that's what you're going to deal with, make sure that the biscuit or the brushes are in good shape. And the one thing that a biscuit doesn't need is to affect timing. So in our next type of rest, timing is extremely important. So the next type is a drop-away rest. Most of you have seen them on pretty much everybody's bows these days most common you're going to see out there is going to be a qad and then you also have the ham skis and you have the aaes trophy takers all different varieties of the same thing where those two types of rest go into like a subcategory is with how they are actuated you have your your limb driven rests where they're connected to the limb itself so the action of the limb going up or down and being compressed during the draw and the firing sequence is what actually operates them. Then you have your cable-driven, which are attached to the down cable. And the difference with those that most people go with them is because you can lock them in place in the up position, which provides you with a little more security if you're worried about the rest, the arrow falling off the rest or something like that. And you really don't have to worry about it too much. The cable-drivens are pretty much i'd say 60 to 70 percent of what you can see out there the limb driven rests like the aae pro drop which is what i use um a lot of people use them and they're probably the most reliable because they rely on the limb 
So not too many mechanisms going on the inside of the rest going to do anything else for you. You also have in that, in that sort of limb style, you, you also have the uh, limb saver, the pro V very common out there. What people don't like about them is that the arrow is not up in the shooting position the entire time because it works on the limb. When the limb is compressed, meaning the bow is static, then you're going to see that when you draw back, as you bend those limbs in, then the rest comes up into place ready to fire. And that kind of spooks people a little bit because they're worrying about it rolling off. But most of these rests come with cages built onto them. You'll see, like in the case of the AAE, they have a launch pad. And the launch pad sticks onto your riser, uh, right onto the shelf, and it kind of keeps your arrow as a guide in place. But the rest itself has a cage and even an arrow holder that will stop it from rolling off from one side to the other. When you draw it all, let's go. It doesn't make any noise. And you can shoot your shot. Same thing for most of them. The limb driver is the same way. The limb driver has a shag pad that you put on your on your on your shelf that also holds the arrow basically in place. When you draw, the V comes up and you're ready to shoot. Where I had the reason why I prefer the AAE instead of say the hamski or the limb driver, it's pretty simple. The AAE has got the lowest profile on it of any of those rests. And why that came to matter, a couple of years ago, PSE came out uh, with a bow with an extremely, extremely short brace height. Okay? I'm talking about five, five and a quarter inches. What we found with that was if you had one of these other limb-driven rests, okay, it would smack, because of the body of the rest is physically bigger, it would smack them and start to damage your cables. That whole action of the cables rolling forward very violently as you fire would hit it, damage the cables, create a problem. In our experience, the AAE was the only one that was so narrow in the front that it didn't take up all that real estate on there, and we had no issues with it. A lot of people weren't running limb-driven rests on that on that particular bow, which was the Expedite, because of that clearance issue. So they were running cable-driven instead. But for us, the AAE always did the job. That's why I like it so much. Now, which is better, a cable-driven or a limb-driven? Like I said, people worry about the limb-driven because it doesn't hold the arrow in place. But with enough practice with it, you'll see there's nothing really to worry about. The cable-driven, most of them possess the advantage that you can lock them up in place, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's great. The problem is timing these things is a little tricky unless you know what you're doing. Um, My issue with those is that when they connect to the cable, in doing so, depending on what they come with, if you're running it on a clamp or if a shop sets it up and they're putting it in a press and running that cable through your down cable and secure it in there somehow, they tend to damage the cables. I have a way of tying it onto the string to the string that doesn't do that, um, but that's how we've been doing it for a lot of years. And it kind of wraps around it. I'll explain it in a video one of these days. Um, I'm not the first person to do it. I definitely won't be the last person to do it that way, but I find that's the only alternative, but it's a time-consuming thing to set it up that way. So if you're relegated to just putting it through the cable or using a clamp, I don't like the clamps because they tend to put excess wear on the cable. 
Also, if it's tied in wrong or if the t- if it's timed improperly, you'll find it'll put excess wear on your on your cable itself and possibly damage the cable. So how would you know if it's timed properly? Well, same thing happens for both limb-driven and cable-connected. With the cable-driven, you have to put this thing on a drawboard. Draw it back, and ideally, it should come up, meaning the rest should come up within the last inch and a quarter to max, I say, two inches of draw. If it comes up immediately, chances are, on a cable-driven especially, you are putting way too much pressure on that cable because if it's coming up in the first two inches or something like that, then you're stretching that thing as much as possible. One of the two is going to give way eventually. Either you're going to damage the mechanics inside of the rest itself or you're going to damage your cable. We don't want to see either one happen because if it happens at the wrong time, particularly when you're out in the woods, it's a really, really bad idea. Now, people do use these for target uh, shooting also. I use it on all my target rigs. 3D shooting is very popular. Some people still use a blade. Some people use this. I like the idea of clearance. Don't have any issues with it. That's why I use it. But again, the timing is critical. So you time it so that it comes up within the last inch and a half. And how do you know it's correct? Well, you can do trial and error, looking at it as you draw and adjust it a little bit. Uh, If you have the draw board, it's the easiest way to do it, of course. And then some people are like, well, I don't know. I can't tell. Well, it's very simple. I have two different ways that I test it. One is for the people who don't want to get their bow covered in uh, their rest covered in foot powder, which is the, te- the typical way of doing this. And what we do is we, um, we just spray some foot powder all over the rest, and we shoot that arrow through it. And if, that, if there's any of the foot power wiped out off that rest when it goes down, you know you've got contact. And we can repeat doing that until we get it to the right timing. And then you don't see that anymore. Or the other way of doing it, if you don't want to get foot powder, which wipes off fairly easily, so I don't see any, any problem why someone wouldn't want to do that. But the other way you can do it is just put some lipstick on the veins, on the edge of the veins. Shoot it through there. If you see lipstick on your rest, you know it's touching. It's not going down fast enough. So that's the problems that we have with that. But properly timed, you don't experience any of that. and Interference-free flight equals good arrow flight, which means the rest is not part of anything that could impact performance negatively for you. The rest is all on you and your form and the bow's performance. So that's why, you know, for the for the cable-driven ones, I'm, like, not really in, in favor of them because I just see too many problems and mechanics on them in general or the clearance of stretching those cords, that sort of thing, and they have to be adjusted constantly. The limb-driven ones, not so much. Both of these will come available in two types, which is standard adjust, where you loosen the screw, you move it over manually, and you can adjust your height, and you can adjust your um, left and right windage. The other type is a micro-adjust. If it's within your budget, I always say get the micro-adjust. Why? When you're tuning it's very important that you move in very, very small increments. This is especially important when you're broadhead tuning. And when I say very small increments, the micro-adjust ones will have little notches on them, and when you you loosen the screw, you you turn the button, and it either will click, or you can just watch it minutely move. You're not actually relying on a physical movement of the part because it's moving along a rail. And that's easy to adjust like that, to make small little paper-thin increment changes 
and then that'll help you adjust. Otherwise, you might be bouncing back and forth, back and forth, up and down, taking 10 times as long to do something, and you don't need that. And if you ever had to take something apart, you want to be able to put it back exactly where it was. You want to have a reference for it. So once we're done tuning one of these microtune rests, like an AAE Pro Drop, then we'll actually take a photo of where, where it is set perfectly. And whenever someone starts to have a tuning problem, and I tell people, check to make sure everything's tight all the time, and we'll look at it like, all right, well, if it's not the bow and we've checked the timing and all that, let's look at the rest. Go back to that original photo of where the rest was. Make sure the notches where they were. Most of the time, they're not. Move it back and boom, we're fixed again. So you can keep a reference on it very, very easily. The ones that do not have micro adjust, they also have the reference notches most of the time, depending on whether or not it's a high quality one or not. And you can still do the same thing. But like I said, making a micro adjustment to those things can be a bit of a chore. So... Those, those are the ones that I really prefer. If I if I have to set somebody up with with a limb-driven rest, I either put them in, a, in an AA Pro Drop. If budget's concerned, they want to spend a little bit less, then I'll tell them to get a Limb Driver Pro V. The Hamski, they make great rests as well. I'm not too keen on that spring that lives on, on the string for them. Not my favorite thing in the world. I think that I've seen that get caught up in brush a lot of time and stretch out, and then you have a different problem. For hunters, generally, if they come to me with a hand ski, I strip that spring off and use it without it. Um, also, for ease of use, for the Pro Drop, they come with a with a steel steel line that you can put on there. I think, and you just put it in, and it never breaks. But again, in the worst scenario, that thing can get bent or something like that. Uh, I've seen them if you over tighten them too much to start to fray with that cable. So I generally rep- replace that with D loop and stretch out the D loop prior to putting it on there. I mean, really, really stretch it and put it in, and you'll find it's very easy to adjust and it lasts just as long as a steel cable, if not longer, um, and just makes it easy to replace. On the Limb Driver Pro V, same thing. They already come with a piece of D loop, is what you tie it to the limb. As long as you learn how to tie it to the limb, which is basically just a D-loop that you're tying onto the limb end, you can replace that anytime you want. They actually have a video that shows a guy purposely cutting his his cable um, for, for, the, for the limb driver, and he can replace it with a shoelace if he wanted to. And it still works, and he gets it done like in under a minute. So there's nothing really crazy to pass through. It wraps around a screw. Really, really serviceable. Really, really easy to use. I tell people, keep it simple. Go with what works for you and what you can honestly afford, and you shouldn't have any kind of real problems. So, like I said, you have to base it on what's practical for you, what's affordable for you, and as long as your timing is correct on on one of these, you're not going to have a problem. Whisker biscuit, remember, it's very simple. If you're eyeballing it, you're keeping an eye on it, you're not going to have an issue with timing because it just sits there, just does what it wants. But it does interfere with the fletchings when it goes out, so there could be some flight problems or their form problems, depending on what you're doing. In the case of a drop away, it doesn't get affected as easily because you're firing it, and it's just going out there, getting out of the way in time, and doing its thing. So for rest-wise, I'd say that's pretty much what you're looking at. Um, very simple, very easy to go, to go through to figure out. Most rests are user-installable, so you can do it on your own, especially... That's why things like the QAD are so popular. I personally don't use the QADs only because I find that they give us a little bit of interference. They don't give us as much clearance as I like. And then if a mechanism is going to break and you're out in the woods, there's really not much you can do. 
But like I said, that's why I'm more of a limb-driven person, and I prefer the limb-driven stuff. Um, it just makes it easier to work with. But again, there's people who who buy these things and use QADs for, for ages. And again, it's a personal preference. My personal preference, I have a lot less tuning issues when I use one of the other limb-driven types with a little bit wider cage on them, but that's just me. Um, the other thing, just a side note with all this when it comes to the rest, make sure, and because most people order them from Amazon or eBay or Lancaster Archery, make sure when you order one of these rests that it is specifically for your bow if that's what you want to get. Let me explain that. So when you get a rest like this and you're looking at it online to order it, you'll generally get one of two different options. You're going to get the standard mount or you're going to get the riser specific mount for the manufacturer. So the first one to really do this was back in the day was Hoyt. Some rest manufacturers came out with specific rests that only fit the Hoyt because like their tech riser was hard to fit anything on. So you can get a Hoyt specific one, gave you a little bit more clearance on there and was fine. Um, same thing today. It still exists. The AAE, you can get that in a Hoyt specific mount. Um, the QAD comes in a Matthews mount, which actually integrates into the riser, or they have the standard mount. Make sure you know whether or not you're getting a right or a left hand. They're not always interchangeable for right or left hand. These are all very important things. Also, lastly, when it comes to the limb-driven rests, and this is specific to limb-driven rests that you have to worry about, some are actuated by either the top or the bottom limb only. So in the case of an AAE, this is why, again, I use them because they're a little bit more flexible. AAE comes set out of the box to be actuated by the top limb, meaning you tie the cable to the top limb and it comes with the clamps to do it. Some people don't like that cable being up there on the top limb. They'd rather be, have it somewhere where it's not going to be in their field of view. It's going down to the bottom limb. It's out of the way. That does not mean you have to buy a different rest. In the package, and there's plenty of videos online to show you how to do it, you reverse the spring. On the actual rest, it requires taking two screws off, setting something, reversing the screen, putting it back together, and now it can be actuated from the lower limb. The limb driver on the older models could only be to the, to the, um, to the upper limb. And a lot of people weren't crazy about that. I think their newer version, their new generation, is able to go to either one. So those are some considerations to have with that know whether or not it's going to the upper or lower know whether or not you need a riser specific one for the for the manufacturer you have and also make sure that you're getting the right or the left hand because like i said most of them are not interchangeable my own personal preference when it comes to this sort of thing i tell people if you're thinking about changing manufacturers anytime in the future just get a standard mount don't get a, a manufacturer specific the manufacturer specific is great, maybe less time to set up, <clears throat> but I prefer something with a standard mount that I can move from one bow to the other. This way I don't have to go buying another rest. I can just transfer the stuff over if I wanted to. And you got to always keep that in the back of your head. So that'll do it for the, for the talk about the rest right now. Uh, we're going to go to our listener questions, and we've got three of them this week. 
So the first one comes from James R. I've, I've just started practicing for hunting season again, and I'm seeing in my shots flying out of the bow really strange. So the shots are just leaving the bow weird. When they hit the target, they are all tail up, and I mean really tail up. Tried moving the rest up and down. Still no change that much. Am I doing something wrong? I'm attaching a pick here. Take a look. Tell me what you think. I don't get it. Everything was fine last year. And I'm looking at the picture and wow. If that's at 20 yards, his arrow is almost sticking straight up out of the target. So that thing is landing weird. He's right. It landed weird. Um, what can be doing this? Well, a couple of different things, James. The first thing that can be doing it is, I would say, has the bow been bumped or dropped or at all? He says that he, he tried moving the rest and didn't change anything. Okay. Without looking at a picture of the bow, I can tell you that nine out of ten times, something's happened with the bow. Usually, either strings have stretched or is something really, really went wrong and is out of place. So the first thing I check is timing. And before you even check the timing, check the axle-to-axle -axle length on the bow. Let's just say your bow is a 32-inch axle-to-axle, and you go to measure it, and it's like 33 and a half. That's part of your problem. Your strings have stretched. Everything's going to be out of whack. If you, you find out that your axle-to-axle is correct, check the timing. So put it on a drawboard. See if, the, if they're hitting at the same time. When one of the two cams on a dual cam bow, if that's what you have, is hitting early, you could wind up with an extreme knock high. Not quite as extreme as what I'm seeing in this picture, but extreme. And then you fix the timing, goes away. I have people chasing their tails all the time because they go ahead, they try to correct it by moving the knock up and down, you know, moving the, the rest up and down to compensate for it, does absolutely nothing. They lose their minds trying to figure out what's wrong. I put it on the drawboard, check the timing, timing's off on the top cam, change the timing, reset, reset it to where it was supposed to be. Everything's fine and dandy. So always check the obvious first. The other thing that can happen is if you put the car, if, if you put your bow in a hot car, that extreme heat, which isn't good for you or for a puppy or anything else, it's not good for your bow either. And what that can wind up doing is stretching the strings, which the axle to axle length be a dead giveaway if it is. And then in the process of doing that, it may have stretched your, your main string, in which case the knock position would have changed. And moving the rest up and down may change that a little bit, but it's not going to change it enough. So what I suggest doing is this recentering your your rest to dead center again where it's supposed to be, and then moving your knocking point down so that you have a level knock on there when the bow is at static position. And then that'll usually fix that. Some people start out with a little bit of a knock high condition either way because that's how they tune it to, depending on the knock travel of their particular bow. And when they get exposed to heat, it just moves a lot more, and in which case, when it fires, it's coming with the tail up in the, in the air anyway, and it's going to impact the same way. So moving it down, the, the other thing is, and I actually ran into this, I'm going to say about three weeks ago, when I looked at somebody serving, the center serving on the bow was giving them problems. It seemed like their knock was moving every single, their knocking point was moving like every week on them. And he finally asked me to take a look at the bow. I take a look at the bow, and I'm like, Mm hmm. Can I ask you who worked on this bow last? 
And I'm not pointing fingers at shops or anything like that, but he said that he took it somewhere. The center serving was damaged, so they replaced the center serving. Okay. Not that hard to do. Only thing is, when you serve, you have to serve in the same direction of where the string's twist is. I'm going to repeat myself. You must serve in the same direction of the string twist. If you don't, your entire serving is going to walk. This guy's serving walked a good two and a half inches on him because it was served counter to what the serving on the string was. So imagine someone's twisting your arm, okay? You're going to try everything to try to get that twist out. Well, putting a serving on in the wrong direction, it's not living in harmony with the rest of the string, so that train, the string tries to undo itself. It's a dead giveaway when you see the peep spun in a weird direction or something like that, and it keeps turning on you. Chances are the serving's done in the wrong direction. We, that's actually why, you know, we looked at it and I said, okay, fine, you've been having problems with people. Later, the peep keeps spinning. I keep, I keep turning it back the other way. I'm like, you shouldn't be living like that. So let's fix it. Change the center serving. Put it in the right direction. His knocking point never moved again, and his peep sat and was a good, good little uh, peep there and wouldn't move always facing directly to him instead of him him having to turn it every single time. So again, it's one of those things on there. And I think if you check your timing first and your axle to axle is good, then if it's not the timing, it's probably serving or the the knocking point that moved because of a string stretch. So hopefully that'll help you out, James. Millie C writes, my eight-year-old just started shooting this week. Great, another young one into it. And so far she loves it. We just got a simple little recurve for her to shoot while we were at Bass Pro Shops. They had them hanging in the aisle, and it looked small enough for her. The sales guy told us it was a 15-pound bow. Now, neither me nor my husband shoot bows, but she kept asking about it right after seeing Brave. Okay, know exactly where this is coming from. Whenever the kids get to see one of these movies, they want to do it, and that's a great thing because some of them really, really take on to it. Uh, it looks, it looks small enough for the sales guy told us it was 15 pound bone. Okay, fine. She is shooting it. Okay. Not really hitting the center, but her, but the bigger problem is her fingers are hurting just after 20 minutes of shooting. It has those rubber things on the string, but it still hurts her. She loves shooting, but I don't want to see her wind up with some sort of permanent injury. Any suggestions? Okay. First things first, you got the bow. 15 pounds doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're dealing with a recurve, you're holding all that weight back. Now, for a youngster, sometimes 15 pounds is too much. I don't know what her frame looks like or anything like that, but she may not be strong enough for it or she's holding it improperly. So step one, find yourself a coach or somebody like that who can actually look over your equipment setup. I go over this over and over again. A good coach will tell you, and you might just have to get one lesson with them, will tell you, hey, this boat, is is okay or it's not or maybe there's too many twists inside the string so that's why it's drawing more than 15 pounds and we don't want to, her to get hurt like that so find a coach first the other thing is those little implements that they put on the string those little rubbers on there she may be grabbing them improperly again you said that neither you nor your husband shoots so you don't know what the proper form is or the proper grip on there is some people shoot three under some people shoot split finger those things probably come designed for split finger. You don't know what it is. She may be grabbing it in the wrong knuckle. She might be holding her hand at the wrong angle. Again, 
seek out somebody who can help you with that. Now, if you don't have a listing for a coach anywhere like that, you can go to USA Archery webpage, look up a coach in your area by the zip code, and they're all listed on there, um, and you're able to get in touch with one of us. But something this simple, if you're down at the archery range where you're shooting, unless you're just shooting in your backyard or something like that, there's usually people around who'll know the difference, and they can tell you, I can tell you right now at Willowbrook Park we have, there's a large contingency of traditional shooters out there. And one thing I know about them, you ask them anything when it has to do with traditional because a recurve is traditional, they will go out of their way to help you, okay? Because they, I don't want to say that they're a dying breed, but there's not as many of them as we would like to see out there. So they recognize that and they try to help everybody as much as possible. We should all try to help each other when it comes to these things and in all things in life. But they, because it's so limited for the number of people who do this, they really, really try to help each other out with this. And if you can get yourself with somebody like that, I think you'll find they'll help you straighten out your problem. Me personally, I think the bow has probably got too many twists in the string which I'm wondering if it even came with a stringer, but if it's one of these little bows that you see there, they probably just set up like that. Uh, it's probably got too many twists. It's probably too too heavy for her, in which case if you take some of the twists out of the string, within reason, you can fix that. But it could be the way she's gripping it. Again, these things you can't really diagnose without seeing them, but get help from somebody who knows what they're doing, and I think it'll solve your problem. So hopefully that'll help you out, Millie. And our third and last question comes from Carlos A. We've been testing our broadheads for the last week. Well, our season's about to start, so that makes sense. Nothing is flying correctly. Uh-oh. Broadheads land high and left of the field points and not all go to the same place. So you've got random landing on them. I don't want to use mechanicals, but I tried one. Okay. Got the same thing happening. You have a bigger problem. What the heck could be wrong? Okay mechanicals un, unlike what most people will tell you they don't fly like field points so if you shoot them and your bow is untuned they will just go as random as anything else when it comes to fixed fix blades doesn't really make a difference so the first thing you have to ask yourself is is your bow tuned is it shooting center shot properly if you're if you're one of these guys who let a shop do it and they paper tested it at five feet and they said, you're good to go. Yeah. You've got your problem starting right there. What I would tell you to do is sacrifice one of your arrows, strip off the fletching and shoot it at 20 yards at a 3d target. That's directly lined up with you, not at an angle or anything like that and see how that bear shaft lands. Now, all this is for not if your form is not great. Remember that the same thing I I tell people, like when you're trying to sight in at some distance that you never shoot at and you're shooting a group, the size of a stop sign out there sighting in at that point, And you're wondering, you'll just drive yourself nuts. Your group, your form depends on good, solid archery form. So if your form is good, you can shoot the bear shaft and look at the way it impacts. And I don't suggest just shooting it once. I'm talking about four or five times before you make any kind of changes. Look how it impacts the target. If it's pointing left, if it's pointing right, if it's pointing up, pointing down, there's a tune problem. Now, Ranch Ferry on YouTube, he has a very easy to understand video about this. I teach people in mostly the same way. 
You can follow his instructions on there. So simple. You move the rest to accommodate it. And if your rest is truly in center, it only takes a hair left or right or up and down to correct it until that shaft is entering the 3D target completely straight. Then I think you'll find that when you fire your fletched arrows, they'll do the same. You may have to recite in a little bit, but they'll do exactly the same. Then throw on a, a fixed blade or something like that and see how see how they go. The mechanicals will probably be just fine as well. It sounds over simple because tuning broadheads is like the greatest ministry on the planet to some people, and I don't understand why. But it's pretty simple to do. As long as your your bow is not un, your arrow is not underspined for that bow, it'll fly fine and you'll be able to adjust it on your own. It's no voodoo, it's no black magic, it's easy to do. Underspined, you have a whole other problem. Then I would lower the weight of the bow if possible and see if it makes a difference. If you see it has an immediate impact, then you may have a problem with the arrows, in which case you have to change the arrows, but that's very rare, depending on who set it up, of course. So again, no great mystery. There's ways to fix that. Once you get that straightened out, I don't think you'll have any more problems. And now it's time for our new weekly segment that we started last time called Don't Be that guy so i see plenty of kids shooting with their parents at the range these days which is believe me a great thing because i try to get as many family units into this as possible but at the same time i see a lot of parents out there shooting and with the kids and they don't either they're not watching what the child is doing or they're not paying any attention or just flat out, they're not guiding the child to make sure that they're doing everything right. So not only can it be frustrating for the child when they're shooting to just, you know, not hit what they're aiming, but it can also be dangerous. I mean, I saw one person, I'm not going to mention if they were male or female, I'm just going to leave it like that, who was there and they were doing their thing and they came down there with with a younger child he's probably about nine and they're shooting and i don't think once did he ever pay attention to what the child was doing he or she nor were they watching what was going on because the child was actually shooting in back of them so they never saw what was happening so again i say don't be that guy don't be the guy who doesn't pay attention to the one thing that should matter the most in your life, and that is the child that you're shooting with. Don't be that guy and let something bad happen because you're not paying attention. Don't be that guy who doesn't help them to shoot, making sure that not only are they doing it safely, but they're having success and having a good time doing it. Remember, when it comes to children, and I'm very forceful about this, and I'm very passionate about this because I'm telling you, I see it happen all the time. But when it comes to kids, they will lose interest very fast if they're not seeing success or if they're doing something and it's hurting them because just like I tell people, you can get bored really easily where all of a sudden it becomes work because it's not fun anymore. Kids turn off like a light bulb even faster than that. And I want people to stay into this sport for a long time. So don't be that guy and not give them the attention that they need. Help them. And if you yourself don't have the skill to do that, 
just for one lesson. Hire a coach or an instructor to work with them to do that. You'll probably get something out of it too. But at the same time, you know that they're doing it. You'll see if they're having a problem before someone gets hurt or someone gets frustrated, and it'll be just fine. So again, don't be that guy. Care about what's going on there. Keep an eye on them. Help them. I think you'll wind up much better for it. A lot of times I find myself jumping into those situations because I see something going on, and I'm like, is it okay if I try to help them out? And they're like, oh, yeah, great, whatever. And they go on, and they do something else while I'm trying to. I don't like to see that sort of thing. I'm going to go out of my way to help people like that. But at the same time, if the parent's not interested enough to try to help their own child, once they're out of my out of my uh, area, as I'd say, you know, when I'm not helping them, I don't know what's going on after that. And bad, it's just a recipe for bad things where either the child's going to become disinterested or can get hurt. And we don't see that sort of thing happening. We don't want that to happen at all. So this hasn't been a very long podcast. It was just one that came up, and I wanted to go over a couple of key things. Um, We're glad that you took the time to tune in and listen to it. Uh, As always, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. This way you can stay, stay up with new episodes as we release them. Generally, we try to release them on every Friday. Um, we were really backed up with stuff this weekend. Had a lot of new people starting. So even though I recorded it last Friday, I couldn't get this thing edited out. Anyway, uh, again, like and subscribe. If you need to contact us, you can email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Be sure to go to our website, www.highpowerarchery.com, and uh, you can submit a message to us there. We get back to everybody. We've been seeing a large influx of, of uh, messages the last couple of weeks, which is good. That means our subscriber base is getting a lot bigger, and we do our best to answer each and every one of those. But if we don't get back to you right away, know that we'll get back to you within 48 hours. And we, like I said, we will answer each and every one of those questions. So as always, it's, uh, it's not goodbye. It's until we see you again. So until then, stay safe and shoot straight. <laughs>